Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than having a coffee at Central Park. Have you seen it? Have you seen the Friends Reunion? Go watch it. So 90s. So incredible. My name's Ash Rose, your host and your guide on this, the original, don't accept any imitations, 90s football podcast. And we are getting set for the Euros. Yes, it's Euros week and not just Euro 2020. We don't live in that world, that crazy world where Euro 2020 is in Euro 2021. No, there's no pandemics on this podcast. It is celebrating the 1990s. And yes, we are going back and looking back at Euro 96 once again. Yes, I know we've done it. We've been there. We've probably talked it to death, but we could not not talk about it. It's 25 years since Euro 96. 12 of England's squad weren't even born when Euro 96 happened. Sorry to make you feel old. But we had, we'd be rem- we'd reminisce of us not to cover Euro 96 as we get this week into Euro fever. But we are putting a new spin on it because we have covered before, long ago, back in the archives, probably in our first year of this podcast that's been going for over 150 episodes now. We did a double episode on Euro 96 covering the tournament and I think we had quite a number of guests and players from the tournament as well. I think we spoke to Colin Hendry, um, Darren Anderson as well. So we did cover the tournament in, in detail. We've spoken about it at length during this week in the 90s series that we did during this run. So we didn't want, just want to go, yay, Euro 96. We wanted to put a new spin on that. And I think we've done that really nicely on today's show, as well as including all the greatest tips, if you like. We still talk about the England-Scotland game. We still talk how brilliant England-Holland was. We still talk how brilliant the summer of 1996 was. And if you're listening to this, you know. I don't have to tell you. And if you weren't there and you're just interested in it, you missed out. The summer of 96 was magical. And as we talk about on the show, you know, we go into the music. We go into the feel of the country. The fact that it felt like it was summer and just piping hot every day although I'm sitting here in 25 degree heat in this burning office so maybe it wasn't every day but it felt like it and maybe it was a missed memory but Euro 96 is very special and we're getting into that today and the kind of angle we're spinning it on is that we're we're covering Euro 96 through the eyes kind of the BBC and how they brought the tournament to us because we've got a friend of the show Paul Armstrong with us today who you may remember we spoke uh, at length about his stint as uh, editor of Match of the Day during the 1990s he is of course there at Euro 96 so we thought we'd pick his brains about what it's like to cover not just a tournament but a tournament in the home country and how you go about bringing that to the world and there's some really really interesting nuggets that comes from Paul um, about the, the tournament, about the way that the BBC covered it, stuff from the ITV side as well. So it's a really interesting chat. But of course, it's us. We will reminisce about the, the uh, nostalgia of it as well, the feelings. And to do that, you've got me, you've got Sashin Nakrani, who for anyone who follows him on Twitter, he is almost like my 90s twin brother. He just waxes on about Euro 96. And he did a great tweet the other day, which we talk about on the show about just that. Um, we also have a cameo from Joel, who was meant to be on the whole show, but as we go into uh, yeah, some scheduling problem involving a washing machine, uh, preventing that. But yeah, we, he also adds his, his you know, defined flavour to the show, as always, on Alive and Kicking. So yeah, we're talking Euro 96, which I'm sure you're all very, very uh, pleased about. And means I get to talk about Davos Suka, means we get to talk about 
just about the feeling. I'm going to stop talking about it because if you weren't there, it's hard to uh, describe that feeling. So that's get on today with the show. Um, before I do, though, just got to mention a competition that actually we're running on the Twitter feed this week getting into the spirit of the Euros in 2021. We've teamed up with the guys from Art of Football. And if you go on the Twitter feed, you'll see the tweet up there. You can win a, a T-shirt from their brand new Euros collection. And these are great, actually. Um, if you haven't seen them, um, full on 90s inspired. There's a Free Lions T-shirt. There is a, a Wales one, which is Don't Take Me Home. Uh, there is a, a, a brilliant bear pickles, I think they call him with England attire on it. And there's a couple of T-shirts, particularly I've got my eye on which I think one is the words John Barnes's rap from World in Motion. Yeah, that one's mine. So, yeah, if you want to win yourself one of those T-shirts, get on the Twitter feed, which is at AK90s. Follow Art of Football, which is art underscore of football and us. Retweet and like, and the winner will be announced on the 15th of June, which is World Beer Day, I believe. And it's also the night France play Germany at the Euros. So, yeah. Get involved in that if you want to show your support for England in 2021. But we'll be showing our support, as always, for the 90s now. And it's Euro 96. Enjoy. Thank you for joining us once again on Alive and Kicking, the original 1990s football podcast. And us, like everybody else in the football world, are getting in the mood for the Euros, which kick off, of course, this weekend. But we don't care about the 2020 Euros, really, do we? Of course we don't. We're talking on the 25th anniversary today of not just Italia 90, as you may have seen across the social today, but also... Euro 96 and just saying those words brings a tingle to my uh, up my spine because we know how much we love on it on this show and to be fair we've talked about it a lot on here before we did a I think way back if you go in the archives we did a double episode where we looked back at the tournament really in the early ons of this podcast and we've talked about it in bits and bobs on different points but we're taking a new spin on it today because we couldn't let the summer go and not reminisce about 25 years ago so we'll be looking at Euro 96 in a new way and we're doing it through the eyes kind of the BBC and how they brought it to us um, all those 25 years ago. And to help us do that, you may have heard him when we did Match of the Day's kind of podcast theme a few months back, maybe last year, I think it was. He's a former editor of Match of the Day. He was at BBC during Euro 96. He's now an author and he's an excellent book on all that subject as well, which you can, I'm sure you can hit him up on. Paul Armstrong. How you doing, Paul? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. How are you? You all right? I'm good, mate. I'm in the Euro spirit. It's 25 years. Yeah. Phil Foden's dyed his hair, I've just seen on Twitter. So Yeah, very weird. Yeah, yeah. looking. <laughs> the fact that he wasn't even born when Euro 96 was on just, you know, makes it makes me makes it quite painful, but it's okay. Well, He's getting into the spirit. Yeah, Christ. <laughs> yeah. Apparently 12 of the squad were born at Euro 96, if that makes you want to feel odd. Isn't, fr- isn't that frightening? Damn yeah. me. Right. And joining us as well, somebody I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast because it's been 
a while since we hear him spoke. He is a writer for The Guardian, but you may have heard his voice on a plethora of podcasts as well, um, including the fans one, which I implore you to check out, where he talked to a fan about a certain club and they go through all different bits of bobs and even a team at the end. We know how much we love an 11, so do check that out. Sashi Nakrani, how you doing, Sash? I'm very well, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to hear your voice again. And I, I'm, I said this in the preamble, I couldn't do a Euro 96 pod without you involved. Um, I knew that anyway, but just by going that rant you went on a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, which I loved, because, um, you know, just let the listeners what you, you know, you got off your chest during that little thread on Twitter. Yeah, so so what had happened is I I put out a pretty innocent tweet. Um, I think I'd said something along the lines of to any to any young people who get sick of hearing old people talk about uh, football in the nineties, or I think specifically talking about Euro and how great Euro '96 was. You're going to hate the next couple of weeks. And I think I, I think I quote tweeted because it was on that day. Uh, someone had, someone had put out a tweet about Euro '96. So I was kind of. For me, what's going to happen? With, I mean, this podcast is a clear example of that. Is there's going to be a lot of Euro '96 reminiscing going on over the next few weeks because, as you say, 25 years is one of those landmark anniversaries for anything. Um, and so, when the dates fall for the for the games at Euro '96 specifically, they're going to, there's going to be a lot of. You, I'm sure you'll do it through your official account. I'll do it. Other people do it. You know, we'll start posting links to classic moments from Euro '96. And also, as you said, there is a Euros on. You know, about to start. So I think those two combined is going to lead to a lot of. Euro, uh, Euro 96 reminiscing. So I just put this tweet out. You know, I didn't think too much of it. You know, if, you, if you're a young person who hates people reminiscing about Euro 96, you're going to hate the next few weeks. And then I got one or two people doing that thing, which has happened to me. And this was the second time it happened. And so it was kind of, it was kind of my breaking point. It was just being really needlessly mean and going, well, actually, Euro 96 was rubbish. You know, all the games were boring and all the stadiums were empty. And so it was on a Thursday, I remember, and I woke up on Friday and it was still annoying me. And so I decided to have a bit of a Twitter thread rant. And I just put a thread out basically saying, look, if you don't like, if you didn't enjoy your 96, that's absolutely fine. You're entitled to. But, you know, don't be one of those mean people on Twitter who goes on and has a go at people for whom that tournament meant a huge amount, as is, as is the case for all three of us on this podcast. And then also, and I'm sure we'll go into this, this idea that a football tournament is only... Um, sort of, we only decide the quality of a football tournament based on how many people turned up and how good the games in, how good the games were. I just think it's a silly way to look at football tournaments. It's so much more than that. It's about the feel. It's about the atmosphere. It's what it means to you personally. And I'll, and I'll talk about my my own personal sort of um, fondness for Euro '96 as we go on. It's not just about the games. And I sort of gave this example of Romania Bulgaria, which was I think one nil. Uh, played in front of 19,000 people at St. James's Park. And that's always the game that's what Euro 96 haters throw at people who love Euro 96. I don't care what the scores at Romania v Bulgaria at St. James's Park. I don't care how many people turned up. You know, it was one game in a tournament. There was so much more to it. So, um, so yeah, that was the uh, the basis of the rant. And also, it's, it's, it, it was the norm then for, you know, I mean, I mean I'm glad that stadiums are full at pretty much all tournaments now, and there probably will be for, for this, but that was the norm, wasn't it? If you look at Mexico 86, which everyone regards as a great tournament, there were great swathes of empty spaces at some mm-hmm. of the most amazing games. I think we've got more cosmopolitan, and, we, and you're right, we, re- we remember it through the prism of what it did for this country. And Italian 90, likewise, probably outside of the England games, wasn't great football most of the time, mm-hmm. but... You can't, you can't, that's not, you know, that's, that's just being perverse, isn't it? To start, to start yeah. going down the line. Yeah. I, yeah, I also absolutely. think tournaments are made of iconic moments as well, more than every single, set, yeah. every single game. It's about that you kind of knit them together. And like Italian 90s yeah. like that, 
Euro 96. And it's why some tournaments, like I always call Euro 92 quite the forgotten tournament because it doesn't have that many. Other than Denmark winning, nothing really happened. Like mm. the Lineker-Taylor thing, maybe. But it's a very small tournament and I always call it a forgotten one. But Euro 96 had so many. And yes, a lot of them are England. But then you can look at Suker, You can look at Paborski. You can look at the Golden Goal. You, can, you know, there are other moments outside. Yeah. yeah. That's good that, that knit this tournament yeah. together but I think mm. we as English fans and, and people who lived in the country at the time can be selfish for it because there was as I've said and I'm sure I know Shashin said and Paul you feel the same as we'll, we'll talk about from a different point of view in the, in the media as well but the feel of the country at that point was different it, it was a time mm. of change yeah. it seemed like the music was the best ever music it's ever yeah seen. I was going to bring that up yeah yeah films were like the best no tv would seem to be coming into a new age and you know we had all this laddism which at the time you know we look at it now and it seems really bad and really old hat but at the time it, it was a it was a thing and everybody embraced it you know i put a tweet up this morning on um, the ak 90s feed of fantasy football doing a, a sort of mock of the opening ceremony and that was just key obviously with dylan skinner was just key to sort of the epicenter yeah. of what was going on so for me it's, it is about that kind of warm feeling it gave everyone and what was going on with the zeitgeist in England at the time. Um, but Paul, let's, let's start you know, trying to put a spin on it slightly different because we, we do run in danger of somewhat going over old ground because I'll tell the story of when I was at the Spain game and there was two pubs that never got on and they were cheering each other. I'll, I'll probably get to that at some point. What, what are your memories just off the bat straight away of working at the BBC and having this, knowing that you're going to have this home tournament what was your involvement? What was your role? What do you remember about the sort of the sort of beginnings of covering Euro '96? Well, it was the last. It was the last tournament from my point of view, in which I wasn't really senior. By '98, I'd been made. Well, I was about to become assistant editor, uh, so it was my last tournament with no real responsibility. So I made loads of the music items and loads of the that sort of side of things, match edits and stuff around the scenes. But I do remember I was party to the discussions. Um, so it was a it was a complex one, like it always is for the BBC, because you've got to try and reflect the pride that we're hosting this thing, but also not be too sort of you know uh, you know not reject the world or get too insular. So uh, I mean, the, the, the genius thing, probably from your United States point of view, was getting Wood Hullet on board. Uh, I don't know whether people remember that, but that was actually fair, you know that was Nar Sloan, who was my boss at the time, who sort of courted him and, and got him. And I think he was he was Chelsea manager at the time. Um, but that was the, probably the first time, really, that we'd used, an, we'd used a pundit from anywhere else. Yeah. So even, ironically, even though it was in our own country, we're obviously going to celebrate that. The, and Lineker was a pundit, so we had, we, had a, we had a pretty iconic Englishman on the panel anyway. Um, but the idea was let's bring somebody a little bit exotic in a little bit, you know, and who just won the thing eight years earlier, if you think about it, yeah, 88, it was him and Van Basten, that team. Um, so that was the that was the that was the most inspired thing about it. But the, the other thing was that it just the way it was physically covered was so different from the way it would be now, in the sense that the BBC and ITV got um, had the rights as usual as they do this time, divvied, divvied the games up. But actually, if I remember rightly, they also directed all the matches, which doesn't happen now. I think that changed. I think I think I'm right in saying that probably changed in 2002 because what happened then was with the Japanese and the Koreans not having a massive tradition of covering football and all those games because it expanded to 24 nations or whatever, they brought in a consortium of Champions League directors. So, in fact, the 2002 World Cup was directed by people who direct Champions League every week from Germany, France, John Watson, ITV did it. But in, in 96, it was part of the prestige was, like it was in 66, you're going to cover your own matches here. So, you know, we had John Strosbury, who was the Cup final director, directed the final and directed the England games at Wembley and so on. So there was that aspect of it. So that involved a big, great big operation and a kind of, a kind of pride thing that we're going to have to do this well. 
uh, and also the decision was taken to take the thing out on the road. So I think from uh, thinking about, I don't think any previous tournament, no, it hadn't. I don't think any previous tournament had been covered uh, on site. BBC didn't even go to USA 94, didn't go to Italia 90, apart from a couple of games where Bedez got flown over there. Um, it was the first time they'd actually taken it, which, which became the norm. Euro 2000 was covered the same way. They took, you know, the BBC went on the road to all those grounds. Didn't always, haven't always done it everywhere since Poland and Ukraine was too difficult logistically. But generally speaking, the idea, let's go to the grounds, obviously made sense because it was in England, but it became the norm. And let's have somebody on board who's looking at this from outside, who's got some credentials. So Hullet, I think, was the, the probably the thing I remember best about that was, was, was them getting him on board. And it just, it, just, it just freshened everything up, really. I thought, I thought it gave it, it was the right kind of element to throw in there at, at, that, at that tour. And it helped, it helped that whole feeling of this, is, as you were saying, about the progression, about the music, about we just, you know, from, from Italy, 93 through 96, there was a logical progression of things are getting better. As a country, as a sort of you know the atmosphere, the, the fact that Cross of St George was not was not a bad thing at that tournament, and there was a you know and that and obviously three lines was a massive part of that. Just in the same way as Ness and Dorbo was in Italian ninety, it's a kind of it's it's it, you know it takes you there immediately. Uh, so we were lucky with that. That kind of prov- provided the backdrop. Um, but I think the idea was to try. It was to try and, as usual. Also, Scotland were there, so you had to have that balance of we're not going to be England, England, England. Yeah, you have, as they'll as they have this time, if you've got other home nations there, you can legitimately, you, know, you have a reporter in that camp and you have a Scottish commentator and you have a, you had know, Hansen on the panel actually, so that was pretty easily done. Um, but it's that balance between we, we, we're proud it's here, we want to wave the flag a bit, but we don't want to become a, you know, uh, and we don't, we don't want to sort of lose everybody, we don't want to lose people who come from other nations who live here. So we, we, the whole thing was done with that in mind, really, as far as I remember. I remember Ruth I mean, I mean, Sachin, how important to you, I mean, us growing up, I mean, pundits become such a thing now. Like, I was part of the BBC launch last a couple of weeks ago when they announced who they got lined up, all the pundits and stuff. I think the 90s obviously were a very much simpler time. Like, Rudhull, it was such a get, wasn't it? And I think ITV then had uh, Kevin Keegan and Alex Ferguson off the back of their obviously famous spat in the title race. What are your memories of kind of a punditry team or the, how it was covered of, of Euro 96? Yeah, well, I'll come on to, I've got a very specific memory, Rude Hollins. It's one of my favourite little kind of uh, football facts. I don't know if facts are the right word, but I'll come on to that in a second. But yeah, just broadly, that's really interesting, Paul, saying about that idea that pre-Euro 96, you didn't get sort of overseas pundits because now it's just completely the yeah. norm. You know, when you watch any major tournament, there's always, I think, um, you know, if you remember the last World Cup in Russia, I think Cesc Fabregas was a pundit for, for B- the BBC and Thierry Henry's done stuff. Uh, Fabio Cannavaro maybe infamously for the ITV at the 2014 World Cup wasn't the best but obviously a huge get so that's really interesting thing god yeah that probably was the first time that you're having overseas kind of superstar I mean obviously it wasn't overseas in the sense that he was managing Chelsea but he was still a you know a, a European global foreign uh, face and he was yeah he was a pundit for a you know a terrestrial um, domestic broadcaster so that, that was really interesting and yeah Ruth it really stands out in my mind as being a pundit there but as I said, to come on to this and for a very specific reason because um, Ruth it said something at Euro 96 do you know what I'm coming on to now which has been sort of twisted and it's become a false memory so um, he was a pundit for Croatia nil Portugal three at the city ground on the 19th of June 1996 and Portugal won that game 3-0. And he described Portugal's football as a pundit for the BBC at that game as sexy. He described them as playing sexy football. And what's happened subsequently, and I think it was sort of started around the time he became Newcastle manager at the end of the 90s, is people thinking his brand of football was sexy. So whenever he became manager of a team like New- from Newcastle onwards, Rude Hullet is going to bring sexy football to Newcastle. 
and then subsequent jobs as well, and, and maybe even sort of reflecting back on his time at Chelsea. But he never said it in reference to his own style of football. He was talking about Portugal, Croatia. And it's one of those little things I like to be a pedant about and bring up really often and go, actually, uh, he wasn't talking about his own style of football. He was talking about Portugal, Euro 96. So that's a real strong uh, Rude Hullet memory. Um, but if I could just ask Paul a question, I was really intrigued by that thing you were saying about, um, you saying, Paul, about um, the BBC and ITV directing the games at, at Euro 96 and how that's obviously changed from sort of 2002 onwards. I mean, I w- as, a, as a layman, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a game being directed by, as, as you were saying, Champions League broadcasters and the BBC or the ITV. Is there a massive difference? I mean, or maybe is it quite subtle that we, as, as I said, people not involved in the TV industry wouldn't notice? So did Euro 96 look very different to other tournaments because it was being directed by the BBC and, and ITV? Subtly, it would. I think what's also happened is become, you know, for, in many ways, a good thing. It's become more homogenous because what they did with 2002 mm-hmm. said, right, Champions League, UEFA always said you're going to have these cameras in these positions. And, you know, there, was, there were rules and regulations. If it's offside, you're going to go to the 18 yard replay. You, go, you know, the stuff that's now become the norm, but it's much more homogenized coverage now. I mean, 96 was, it was probably, you would look at it. There were certainly things like uh, in 86, for example, used to cut to those live sort of cut cameras near the corners for corners. Do you remember that? The, I think they did it in Portugal in 2004 for this. There must have been a Portuguese director doing it. But uh, So was, I'm contradicting myself because it, it had, did happen later. But <laughs> that thing of going live to a, a corner being taken, not from the grandstand view, but from down that end. I don't know, do you remember that? Maybe that was just me as somebody. No, yeah, it doesn't mean, I think, I, is it like literally going to kind of the corner flags? I mean, quite tight not into the corner. Right, no, we're going to sort of an 18-yard camera. So you're oh, down okay. that end of the pitch. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the view always was the sort of old-fashioned British view, or yeah, sort of, sort of, yeah, the sort of the, the old-fashioned BBC view. Was you, you, you're in the best seat in the house. You're on the halfway line. We'll move off that when the ball's out of play, or when there's a close-up, oh, okay. or when it's for a replay. But we'll stick to that. You know, it's quite conservative. Whereas now you see more of that thing where people use the the, the low camera, you know, mm. on a on the, the 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 moving camera when a guy's running mm. down the touchline. But I mean, they cut off it when he goes in the box. But there were there were times, particularly in Mexico in '86. If you look back at some of that, they were covering it from odd places. You know, they were, oh, they were okay. not, not not necessarily wrong, but they were just moving you along the stand. Mm. And that was regarded as poor form, you know. And I think probably those rules have gone anyway. But there was a there was a real kind of rigid so I think BBC and ITV's coverage in nineteen sixty, you wouldn't have been able to tell who was doing which. Mm. It had a certain sort of and some of it was some of it was it was a bit hamstrung. For example, the one thing I remember, and it wasn't anybody's fault, but the, the famous Gaza taking the water after the Scotland goal it was not cut to live at all because there wasn't the, 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 it was later somebody came back in the van there was a camera down there that was recording on the camera it wasn't part of the OB coverage it said I was right next to this you should see what what happened and, you know the the, 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 the Jerry Redknapp and yeah the celebration yeah, yeah. yeah was not in the main was not in the live oh, coverage right. uh, was, oh really so, that's interesting yeah, yeah that's yeah. like a bit of a false memory as well isn't it I yeah, totally imagine it was yeah, I mean, yeah you might have seen it on a wide cover the, the, the great yeah. shots of it we're not we're not yeah, shown yeah. live. And that's okay. nobody's fault, but it was kind of people weren't thinking about people weren't thinking well, that there's much more. You'd, be, you'd have another camera down there now, or you'd mm. have 28 cameras in the ground instead of what eight or whatever they had at that time. So th- it was a more high bound. And, and then you find extra shots like that. What did happen by the 90s was there were always extra cameras. And I did the, the big Gaza item in 1990. Um, and all there was was the main coverage and one camera trained on England, which fortunately had often been with Gaza. So you had enough shots. To make a montage, it still looks really primitive now. If you had a montage of somebody playing like Gazzard in '90, now you would have unbelievable mm-hmm. super slow mo 
you know, right in his face when he's crying and all that kind of stuff. Whereas then you were cobbling together what you could from limited coverage. Mm. But it was much better coverage than, say, 20 years before that. So there's an, evo- there's an evolution mm. there that, you know, you that Chardelli shot is so rare because that's straight down a camera. Yeah. And even then it's not as close or as sharp as it would be now, but it was just iconic because we didn't get shots like that, you know. Uh, whereas now you always, every goal's got a shot like that on it. Um, Do you think, so, so yeah. that's interesting. Do you think the Chardelli celebration's iconic because... Not because it was in its. I mean, it was quite an exciting celebration, but it was actually iconic because of the angle. Then I guess because I think got so. Yeah, he, he, yeah, normal, yeah, normal. You know, normal. If he'd done that back in '66 or whatever, we wouldn't. Yeah. We, they wouldn't have the shot. You'd have him yeah, yeah. in the distance somewhere, grainy black and white, and you wouldn't yeah, know yeah. his. You wouldn't see his facial expression. Now you'd it's see. Breaking like yeah. the fourth wall, isn't it? Like you see in mm. movies when they talk straight to the camera. It's almost like that celebration is breaking the fourth wall in terms mm. of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's yeah. coming yeah. at you. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's yeah. Down, but. And it's, it's just more, you get more and more. It's all, I mean, in a way, the, it was, the rarity of that kind of stuff was, was, was what made it so precious in a way. Yeah. Now it's just, you know, every, you know, you can watch the, you can watch the, the, uh, the National League playoffs and there'll be somebody running at a camera when they score, you know. Possibly not like that, but, you know, it was, I mean, yeah. it's still a marvellous shot, but it's, it's much more commonplace now. Yeah. How funny that the dentist chair of all the celebrations was the one we, we just, as you said, Sashin, we kind of forced him to remember that, that, we saw it as it happened, but why would there? No one knew that there was going to be that kind of celebration. No. So that, that is really. And there wasn't a camera. There wasn't a camera on the outside broadcast in that position for somebody doing isolated shots of the players or whatever it was for sort of future use. We used to have you have one camera just training on players that you could then use in future pieces, and it happened to be right there when it happened. So I did the highlights that night. I think we put it in because it was just well, this is an incredible shot. And we made a big fuss of it, but it then became, as you say, became common knowledge or common a common memory that we all saw it live. We didn't. So, yeah. Well, I sort of did see it live because I was at Wembley that day. I was oh, at the right. Scotland game, but so I didn't see it at all because it happened on the far side of the pitch. I was parallel with Gascoigne when he went on that on that run. I was in the low, quite low in that the stand at the side where I guess it's where the dugouts would be when Gascoigne sort of took yeah. off. But then he celebrated at the far end. And obviously, I'm jumping up and down with my cousins and my uncle. And I remember a Millwall fan in front of me sort of grabbed me, which was uh, quite the moment, and uh, which is great as well. But yeah, that happened at the far end. So I, yeah, I would have seen it on the highlights that night, I guess. So, but I didn't watch it live on TV. But in my mind, it happened live, if that makes sense, even though I didn't watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. It's only because I was there. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Anyway, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't need to know how these things are put together too. too, yeah, yeah. too Oh, that's really interesting. I, I find it really interesting. I do. Oh, well, something else as well is the way the games are chosen because the BBC didn't get. They got England Scotland, which was obviously the big gap draw of the of the group stage uh, uh, year in '96. Is there a big deal when that happens, or is it just a sit down kind of negotiation between the two channels, or is it more of a bidding? I'm always fascinated how who gets <laughs> who who decides. <laughs> It used to drive me nuts at the BBC this actually because they, I put it in the book because it was it became all important to the channel controls who knew nothing about sport really it just was just interested in, in ratings which I understand if you're ITV ITV are always thinking you need a big England game because we didn't sell some advertising BBC you would think well we'd go with the editorially strongest games and you would but it's it's divvy down the middle but I remember in '98. Um, when we did we lose to Romania, we end up in the wrong side of the draw. So we yeah. BBC had gambled everything on uh, a court final. So they'd given ITV the second round, which was meant to be an afternoon game against somebody who'd finished second in another group. But because we lost, didn't win the group, we ended up playing Argentina in peak on a whatever night of the week, and it went to extra time and penalties. 
And it was regarded, even though everybody remembers France 98 as a great triumphant coverage and the BBC did brilliantly and Des was in Paris and all that kind of stuff. But nobody, the BBC One controllers were absolutely mortified. We've given them the best game. How the hell did that happen? And it was just pure, mm. you know, serendipity and luck. And I think in, I think we didn't have the Dutch game. I remember doing the highlights of that, which was obviously a fantastic performance. So BBC didn't show that live. Um, I think they must have agreed to share the semi-final. Is that, have I got that right? I think yeah. BBC probably... Did the BBC do the Spain game? Yeah. I think the BBC might have done the Spain game. Might have, yeah. might have gambled on us getting through the knockouts. Because it was only, it was only, it was only um, a last eight back then, wasn't it? It wasn't last 16 like mm. it's going to be this year. Yeah. Um, so I imagine there was agreement to share. As it was in Italian 90, I think the agreement back then. This time, funny enough, ITV got first choice of semi-final like they did at the World Cup. I think even that's gone out the window, the idea that both channels should be showing the same thing other than the final which they will both show because you can't do the whole tournament and not show the final. But the BBC's actually, I think, if I understand this rightly, taken earlier games in the tournament, you know, and let ITV have the semi-final if it happens. Sashin, how which maybe may may a good bet, given what we'd be likely to play in the second round. <laughs> We're going to have France, Portugal or Germany in the second round, probably. So, Do, do you have a press for Sashin? Do you look at that when, because I know like we, you're like me, when the you know weeks, as we've been in the last week or so, you get your wall chart up, you see who's got what game you plan how important for you is who's got what or are you a bit like oh let's just watch the games and see what happens well in the era of des Lynham, it was yeah oh, the, totally. bit, the, the bit yeah it was uh, yeah i you know I, I would always uh maneuver towards the bbc and i wanted the bbc to have the biggest games because i wanted des to have the biggest games essentially you know he's still you know just the best has ever been as far as i'm concerned as a, as a presenter um, nowadays, less so because I think it's just a bit more neutral now in terms of the coverage. I actually, I think ITV, I think there's still that feeling that the BBC is miles better than ITV. I sort of disagree with that. I think ITV have really upped their game in, in recent years. Yeah, I, I never thought that to be honest. I mean, we I used to get we used to get sort of hero-grams for yeah, you know, like yeah, I remember being nominated for BAFTAs for England, Argentina, and things. I thought, well, we just we just fluked that. We got that game. Yeah. <laughs> Even ITV have done it equally well. You know, I, I yeah, I think with Des it was a bit because they, they, never, they never had a they never had a presenter exactly, yeah. on the same planet as Des. Yeah. But the, the panels now, the panels are definitely, you know, I mean, Roy Keane, Gary Neville, whatever, on ITV yeah. this time. There's a, you could look at it and the, there, is, there are pros and cons both ways. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with it. I mean, I don't, I just watch everything. I mean, I've, I always thought that, that, I always find that ratings thing and that obsession with who's, I mean, obviously you want, you, you, you want to work on the best games you can, but you accept that without the, the pulling power of both companies, mm. you aren't buying the rights to this thing. I mean, the only way that the BBC could afford the rights to a World Cup or a Euros, and in all honesty, to go to the partnership with the commercial broadcaster. And it needs to be on terrestrial television so that my dad can watch it. Mm. And I just accepted that. I never, I never, I never got all present. The England Argentina thing in 1998 just baffled me. I didn't understand, you know, it was a bit of a shame. We'd love to have covered in the quarterfinal, but, you know, it, it was treated like the, the ultimate. And it was only later when all the, criti when all the critics and people like you saying, Des made that World Cup, that, you know, don't worry. you. And, and the ratings, apart from that game, were very good for the BBC. It was just bizarre that people, people, you know, the non-commercial environment that was that important. I never, I never got it. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, just because I think, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think now it's just, I think it's sort of Paul saying that the most morning is the game. You know, it doesn't ultimately matter too much who's showing it as long as they do a decent job of, of, of putting it on. And then ultimately you, the game is the most important thing. But I think, yeah, looking back then, I think as, as Paul said as well, there just was ITV just didn't have someone comparable to Des. So you wanted Des to do the big games because you wanted the, you know, the great lines from Des. You know, we all know them, you know, shouldn't you be at work? And uh, you might yeah. have heard Amon and all that stuff. You wanted Des to do that. But um, yeah, now I think the comparison, Mark Pugash is great. As, as Paul said, I think the panels are pretty good. Um, I think 
I think the commentators are as good as each other. I mean, I, I think ITV have dropped a massive ball getting rid of Clive Tilsley, Percy. I think he's excellent. No disrespect. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah. understand that one, I must say. I mean, I yeah. didn't, I'm not fast to why they did. I think the BBC's got more seasoned commentators because of Match of the yeah. Day. You've got a lot of guys doing games week in, week yeah. out. They're very good. So that, they might slightly shade that. Um, yeah. But the pundits are nearly all ex-BBC. Anyway, exactly. Dixon was ex-BBC. You know, I mean, it's yeah. not... There's really not... You can't get too... Mark Pruger, actually, obviously seasoned BBC presenter. You can't, you can't get too precious about it. I mean, I don't... You know, I... Um, just glad it's glad it's somewhere free to air that everybody can see it. That's that's the main thing, isn't it? That still makes it special. That still mm. means my dad. My just for example, my dad can watch it. You know, he hasn't got yeah. satellite TV, and you know, and I've no problem with the, I've no problem with the week in week out and football being on Sky because they're doing live stuff that nobody ever would ever. They move, they they raise the bar beyond all recognition, and they're showing games live that the BBC would never have shown or ITV would never have shown. Mm. But I do think the tournament's quite nice that it's a, it's got that slightly special thing of being. Yeah. Back on the, I mean, I'm probably very old. I should imagine anybody <laughs> under the age of forty doesn't give a toss where it is. They'll just find it on. They'll find it on yeah. some stream somewhere anyway. But yeah, yeah. Can I just ask Paul a question about sort of Des, it's sort of linked to Dez a little bit, but just editorially as well. Was um, I mean, we obviously all love Euro '96, but one sort of thing that was quite unfortunate about it was it, it did get very kind of jingoistic. I think towards the the semi as the semi final emerged, the, the you know England Germany, and obviously I think there was that pretty horrendous Daily Mirror front page. Sort of you know you will act on you. Piers, Piers Morgan, yeah, Piers. yeah. Was there going into the Germany game specifically? Was there discussions about how to how to build this game, like to really you know I'm sure Des didn't need guiding, but to say look, let's absolutely avoid World War Two references. Yeah, yeah, down oh, that yeah, route and stuff. yeah, yeah. There was a, I think there was a, it was always an unspoken. I mean, Des was pretty pretty cute. I mean, his actually yeah. his politics in late life went a bit dodgy, but but he was you know <laughs> he wasn't a, he wasn't into that kind of thing. He was Irish, yeah. really, fundamentally. Um, as was the editor, Mark Sloan was Northern Irish. Okay. Alan Hansen was on there, wasn't going to go mm. down that route, you know. <laughs> I don't know who it was there for the semi, I can't remember. But, you know, there was a, yeah, there was a definite, and Jimmy Jimmy Hill was still on board then, if you remember. So he was, mm. he wears his Union Jack, but he was an old school, you know, you know, he was sort of, he, he represented that without ever kind of really getting silly about it, I hope. I don't think he occasionally put his foot in it, but he wasn't a, he wasn't a raving sort of uh, Second World War nostalgist. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it's so difficult. I mean, God, I don't, I don't know how they're going to do it this time with all the pressure they're under, because everybody working on it supports, you know, understands, has, has talked for the last year and understands what's going on politically, uh, and the mischief sort of culture war thing in the background is going to put a lot of pressure on them. Mm-hmm. I really wouldn't want to be having to deal with that. I wouldn't want to have Oliver Dow on the phone. Yeah. Telling me what how how I can and can't cover what's going to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd like them. I'd like them to do it spontaneously and honestly. But it's a it's a horrible. The BBC is always in trouble with that kind of thing, as you know. It's a, it's a you know this that, this is another level that I fortunately never had to deal with. But um, yeah, there was a, there was a conscious and, that, and I remember everybody being appalled by that mirror front page. I mean, there was a genuine yeah. What the hell is this? You know, it was Actung yeah. surrender and people in yeah. Tommy hats and all that. It was just. And I think, to be fair, I think they misjudged it. Actually, I think it got—I think mm. it got a massive backlash. Now, the interesting thing is, would, what would it, what would happen now, twenty-five years on, if we play Germany and they do that? I don't know. I mean, it's really awful, isn't it? We're talking yeah. about the country progressing from nineteen ninety-six. I'm not quite sure where we are now. I'm, you know, I don't, well, I think know. I think so, one, you know, I think it'd sort of go down the middle. I think one set of people would be absolutely appalled by it, but I think sadly, the, the you know, the post-Brexit era we live in, I think a lot of people absolutely lap it up and kind of see it as yeah. a, two fingers to the left and to the woke, you know, the, the woke section of society. So I've um, been dealing with, I've, I've been on Twitter this morning dealing with some of this, and it's like, yeah, as long as we keep, it's really quite cynical. As long as we keep forty-two percent or whatever it is on board by just attacking. These t- you know, even the, even even Ollie Robinson this morning, which is obviously, you know, 
but the ECB just having a pause while they work out what he's actually said and what they, what he what he signed up to when he wrote us. We know he's only eighteen. We know he's an idiot. But um, the way it's been politicised today and it's supposedly keeping politics out of sport, it's just extraordinary. I just finding yeah. I don't know where I would hate to have to try and uh, run a program against that backdrop. It must be really soul destroying. I hope I just hope yeah they'll try and find a way through like they have all the way through the last year. But and the broadcasters have actually been pretty good, I think, right across the board. You know, Sky. Won a, won a BAFTA the other night for the coverage of the cricket last summer. Um, but it's a night, I mean, it's an absolute nightmare. And, and you know that there is a proportion of people out there who just don't want to hear any of it. And if, in fact, in some cases, want to hear a fairly grotesque, you know, decades mm. out of date take on it, you know. So yeah. God, God, knows how you, God knows how you keep everybody happy with that. I don't, I don't know. No, in 96, it was a bit easy, which is the mirror's gone too far here. Yeah. Um, we know we know England Germany is always huge. Gary's played in England Germany's, but Gary is on the panel. He's not going to start going down that. I fact mocked Bobby Robson for doing it in 1990, if you remember. But he, he put before the semi-final, he'd written on the whiteboard. He'll yeah, he'll mention the wall, and he did within about yeah. two minutes. <laughs> and they all laughed their heads off. And Bobby yeah, had enough about him to realise what he'd done. Uh, but by '96, where he was on the panel, Jimmy was the sort of old school figure, and then you had Hullet, Hansen. You know, uh, Des, who's sort of half Irish and wasn't going to go down that line. So it wasn't. I think the work. I think the work conversation. I mean, I mean, Motti, God bless him, lovely bloke, but could easily have got himself in some kind of tangle with that. But mm. he, again, again, would keep would would keep away from it. Did actually almost that? Did Barry do that game? But, I mean, he'd probably trust Barry more than Motti. Yeah, on that, I can imagine. I can yeah, I can hear sort of Barry Davis's voice like when Anderton can't get his toe to the ball. Oh, no, so when Gascoigne can't get his ball to yeah, Anderson's I cross. I think I can hear Barry Davis's yeah, agonised voice, yeah. That was, that yeah, was the arrangement. Right. Motti was going to do the final. Mm-hmm. Uh, so therefore, which, which, which they were hoping was going to be England. So I guess Barry got the semi as yeah. his sort of, you know, as his population. Um, right, yeah. yeah. He was never really worried about Barry. Yeah. Barry was always very, very shrewd on anything outside football. He was actually pretty, pretty smart. You know, he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't have gone down that sort of line. Mm. Very definitely. Even that where are the Germans thing in the hockey wasn't really, you know, it sounded, sounded kind of more jingoistic than it probably was. Mm. Yeah. I remembered Barry Davis's live in Gareth Southgate miss. That was the, oh no, that was Barry Davis. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the line I, I yeah. always remember. And um, we'll talk about uh, the intro music to BBC's coverage in just a second, plus a bit more of the brilliant summer of 96 once you return after this. Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. You're listening to Alive and Kicking, and we have been talking about Euro 96 putting different spins on it with the BBC. Um, we've got an extra guest as well, fresh off fixing his washing machine, as per usual. It's always crazy going on in the world of Joe Young. How you doing, Joe? I wasn't on. I wasn't just on. The, I wasn't fixing the washing machine. I had some real men here, so I, <laughs> I had one choice, and one what that one was to come in and sort of cough and say manly things, and another one was to hide in my bedroom with the cat. And I wonder if you can decide which one I chose. <laughs> <laughs> One I'd probably choose as well. I need a real man to come and fix my tap at the moment because I've tried and I can't do it. <laughs> There's my manly. Wait, 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 wait till the tournament starts. You'll have something to talk to them about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's always. It's always but then you won't be able to book anybody. <laughs> yeah, they're all talking about <laughs> Euros. As, as we are now, we've talked to Euro 96. Joel, you kind of missed bits and bobs. We spoke about Des Lynham. We talked about picking the games. Um, what I was going to focus on 
next was the the theme tune really that BBC chose because I'm always I'm big on the theme tunes for the for the tournaments. So like you think Nessa Dorma in 1990, uh, 94 BBC had America if I remember rightly. Yeah. Well, ITV went full on glam rock with Gloryland, which is something I still own on cassette. Um, follow up to you are number one as well, which was at Euro '92 for Euro '96. <laughs> It's a bit of a head scratcher. I always forget. It's a. I think it's Beethoven. I should have double checked that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Is, uh, it, is it a trend they continued from Nesse Dormat through America? They yeah, just, I think so. I mean, it's it's a funny one. I'd, I'd do you know I'd forgotten too when he said, "Oh, we're going to talk about the titles." I had to go and look at them. Well, firstly, the titles themselves are so low tech. They were regarded as brilliant <laughs> at the time. These kind of zoom, you know, shots going across all the grounds. It was meant yeah. to be. It was like you know. Nobody had ever seen such remarkable technologies. Now looks incredibly boring because again, on any on any sort of League Two playoff, you'll have a nice aerial shot of Forest Green or whatever it is, and that's all they did really, which just went wafting over all the grounds around England, which is understandable. You link it together, this the, the games are going to be everywhere in the country. Uh, the music, as far as I remember, I think there was a sort of classic, the classical thing from from Ness and Dorma. Uh, they did it again in '98 when he was four four aids Pavan, which was. Worked very well in the French cafe. Um, I think, it, I don't know, it must have been an attempt to be sort of vaguely, because Scotland were in there as well, so you couldn't go with some jingoistic England, England tune. Um, <laughs> and as I said before, you had that whole sort of thing of let's try and stay away from that a bit. Uh, I mean, can you imagine now, can you imagine Beethoven is the theme, would be the, was the theme music to a tournament played in England? <laughs> It'd be the, the wokest, most PC snowflake. It is, it is also, outrage. I don't know you just said this, because I did buy it on CD single and I've got it with all the official BBC artwork and I just ran to look for it there and I couldn't find it, unfortunately. But it is the it is the anthem of the uh, EU European as well. Union. As the, European yeah. Union, yeah, absolutely. It's the one, yeah. it's the one it's the one that UKIP turned the back on, I think, in uh, oh, Strasbourg. It was so, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, again, we talk about twenty-five years. You know, you sort of think that you wouldn't. I'm not sure they do that. I don't know what they're using this time, but they, you know, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure you could use the European anthem right now. I think it would be regarded as political, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, there'd be complaints galore. Actually, <laughs> an intro is important to you, and is that something that sort of sparks off you when you have a tournament fever? The intros to the coverage of each channel. Well, I think the three you've mentioned do stick in my mind. I mean, Ness and Dorman is obviously absolutely iconic. And I mean, part for me, partly as well, because it was my first World Cup. America, I remember really well as well. And it was Ode to Joy, obviously, is what we're talking about for Euro 96, uh, the yeah. Beethoven music. So, yeah, they really stick in my mind. And then after that, I um, yeah, remember the, I do remember the France 98. And again, maybe it's just an age thing. I, I yeah. can't remember any theme music post 98, to be honest. So you I don't know whether they're just not as good or... Just because you get older, you stop caring about things like that. I don't know what it is, to be honest. Stevie Wonder in, in Brazil was um, was uh, was was quite. A, that was a sort of. I was that took a bit of effort to get that cleared and everything. But That's the first yeah, time I mean, he's, he'd ever done that, wasn't it? That was yeah, the first it time was. He'd ever, it took a lot of persuading. I think it was good as well. I, quite, I was quite proud. Of that That's just a personal. I knew how much effort had gone into trying to make that mm. work. And it was a kind of joyous, I thought it was probably less, you know, you could have gone down an absolutely obvious Brazilian route, but I thought it was quite, yeah, yeah, it sort mm. of worked. But yeah, you're right. I mean, most most, most others, I, um, even I'd struggle. I worked on the ball, but it does, it, if, you're sitting, if you're sitting doing a live program, it does help if you've got something to G you up. If, I think a couple of weeks in South Africa, I remember, I, like, I remember liking that. And that was kind of, was, you know, it was, it, yeah. was, it, it felt, it felt um, but I don't think anything's ever touched Mess and Dorma, really. No. I've no. got a couple of, tweets from that because we posted the video up on Twitter yesterday and uh, James Dixon who was on our last show said it always bothered him that the, they didn't match up the teams with the grounds that they were playing in I'm not sure if no. that was ever a thing that, that people <laughs> even think of in, in probably in 1996 but where well, there's something to complain about on Twitter I'm supposed to 
Um, and then there was someone that said that the footage for England was from a home game against Poland in 1993, which is eagle-eyed beyond belief. So they're wondering why it wasn't a more recent footage, or was that just something the BBC probably had on fire? It might it might have been a rights thing, because obviously it hadn't been at the World Cup in '94. Maybe yeah. ITV had the qualifiers around that, but it gets so I get so muddled of what contracts people had at what point. But if you think of the Graham Taylor, the uh, the famous you know uh, Dutch game, that was on ITV, wasn't it? So uh, yeah. maybe that was the last thing the BBC had in the in the archive. Yeah, quite possibly. That's quite possibly so. Um, Joe, we haven't got much. Obviously, you've just joined us. What? I mean, watching Euro 96, we've talked about it with the boys here about watching BBC, watching ITV. What are your memories of watching Euro 96 and, and, and everything around it? Well, apart from the damp squib that was the opening game, which I'm sure you've talked about. Because uh, it was on ITV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was, a, that was a terrible game. But um, have we discussed Mr. Hollett yet turning up on yeah. the yeah. BBC? I mean, just what a magnificent catch that was <laughs> but you you always had this habit of of kind of getting people involved who normally wouldn't be involved i know robbie williams was 98 yeah wasn't it robbie williams and martin o'neill yeah. was at the world cup it was at france yeah. in 98 wasn't it um and i've i've done some business with robbie and i've always found him perfectly charming but this is a lot before that time so it was quite good fun to see him get hammered like that but on um euro 96 it was just um everything getting it, it's just we keep talking about this magical summer of it don't we and it's just it, it's that same thing all the time you've got you've got the song you've got that you've got the bbc coverage you've got rude hullard saying sexy football you've got you know the slow start then the uh yuri geller allegedly inspired victory over scotland and then the boring game against spain actually as well which kind of gets quietly forgotten about. You know, all this talk that we never win on. Uh, we never yeah. <laughs> we never win boringly. Well, we won that day against Spain. Yeah. So, because that would have really... It, I mean... We England have won that game. We, we, they, were, they were better than us, really, on the day. Yeah. We didn't play very well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was on the BBC, wasn't it? On the Saturday afternoon. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, yes, it was. Yeah. So if, what does that do? And, and if you've already asked this, Ash, you can cut it out. But if England go out early, or Scotland aren't there or whatever, what does that do to you in terms of the job, in terms of the audience, in terms of um, what people, what people's expectations are of you after that? What does, what does that, it's the same thing that we've got out against Spain and, yeah, you know, it takes some of the pressure off it. Certainly when I was an editor at the tournament following that, you did feel a partial sense of, we're not going to quite as much pressure, we're not going to get 30 million people, you know, it might be 12 million people watching a semi-final rather than 30 or whatever it would be. So it was a li- took a little bit of the little, but it also took a little bit of the edge off it in terms of certainly some of the um, people work on it. It's not got demotivated, but you can just feel it. Tell you something cruel like 98 with, a, you know, I remember sitting in the, in the, vi- the videotape area that, that day and everybody just feeling ITV were covering it, but everybody's feeling a bit flat. But you, you pick up because the next day Brazil are playing or something. So you get back, you get back on with it, you know, um, and I didn't, I, 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 you know, didn't didn't mind at all which 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 way it went in terms of just purely editorial. There was always plenty. There was always plenty you could get your teeth into, and it took away some of that need to have every, an England an England element in every program, which sometimes got a bit dull when you were just thinking we've got to. Even when England aren't playing, there's a sort of you felt duty bound to have something to do with England in there. Um, but funny, you talk about you talk about uh, when we lose, and the other thing that occurred to me about the about the theme music, I couldn't remember the theme music. I couldn't remember what, what theme music was in the United States, but I do remember the end the end of England going out music, which is Walk Away by Cast. Which, which which I don't know whether everybody remembers that. I couldn't yeah, find that. I don't seem to be on YouTube or anything. But it was a. I remember. I remember we were making that because I was in uh, Television Centre helping to make that with a guy who 
and we were just throwing shots around. And it was like, because it went to penalties, we were only up, we were off the air far earlier than it would have been normally. So we needed the poignant, up-to-date moments to finish the thing. And so it was utter, utter chaos. So every time I hear that music, I think we were about 10 seconds away from it not making the air. Uh, <laughs> but, it was a, but it was a very, you know, that, that, that was one of those that I think does stick. I don't know, and uh, Des doing if at the end of 98. Sometimes, mm, yeah. sometimes the closing thing sort of has more impact than, than the theme music. And he released that as a single, didn't he, as well? Didn't the BBC release if Des doing if as a single? I think they did, which is probably getting a little bit carried away with itself. But it, was, it did sort of work <laughs> It sort of working. I don't even like the poem actually. I never liked it very much, but it, but it does. It did. It did sort of. It, it did capture something, didn't it? Uh, but walk. Do you remember? Do you remember the cat? Yeah. Remember the cat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. then it was, I was just thinking there. It was used on an advert later on. So you must have been having kittens every time that advert came on the telly. <laughs> I still can't listen to it. It still makes me think. And also, my I watched that with my best friend at the time that night at home in my room, and we went home that night, and his cat died. It was like the worst night ever. England had gone out a year in '96, and his pressure. Yeah, it was. It was a bad night, and all I could think about was cast walk away. <laughs> was, was that was walk away chosen, Paul? As a did you was a decision made that if England lose, we'll do we'll do a montage with walk away. Or where yeah. did you use that? So that was a pre. Yeah, there were two. There were two. Choice, there were two yeah. Months, yeah, there were two. It was the old Boris Johnson. His two letters to the Telegraph. It was. Yeah, we, better yeah, yeah. we better have something up our sleeve with. Uh, yeah, so there have been something shorter and less about the whole tournament that England had won. But it was kind of, we better, you know, yeah. if England do go out, and as it turns out, it's so, the sort of cruelty of it. If we'd gone out 2-0 in normal time, it would have probably, might have looked a bit over the top, but given the way yeah. it just worked, didn't it, because of, because of what had happened. Um, but yeah, there was something else up the sleeve for, for uh, yeah, Eng- England win would have been, I can't remember what it was. But it was I was going to ask, yeah, do you remember what the win was? Yeah. <laughs> we, had, but we, had them both, we had them both going, we had them both, because obviously you didn't know until the end of the penalties which you were going yeah. to be running. God, that must be an absolute just head frying thing straight. You know, it's that thing, the famous Top of the Pops thing from the same year, actually, where, you know, we got the Christmas Day Top of the Pops and they announced uh, that Mike Flowers was the Christmas number one when it absolutely wasn't the Christmas number one. And, and that's because somebody had put the wrong tape out. Can you imagine if you put like the, or the wrong music on the right yeah. tape? The, cele- the celebratory. <laughs> yeah. It'd have been three lions, surely, if we'd had the rights to it. I don't know. I don't know what whether we were keeping that if they won the final. I'm not quite sure. I don't think. We, yeah, I don't know what we. We might have been. I don't know. I can't. Do you know, I actually genuinely can't remember. I need to. I need to talk to my colleagues if anybody remembers what yeah. we did. But I just remember <laughs> absolutely slumped that we were literally all on the floor at the end of this because we just it just been so mental putting this thing together. You know, um, with with two. You know, we had two versions going, and it was. It took most of it. it took sort of. But about half the people working working on the two the two alternative closings. And is that and also, still, still in, but are you working? You're not working on tape by then, though, are you? There's some yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was still it was still. I'm trying to remember. It was certainly analog to a degree. I don't think it was the big one inch spools that you had to yeah. kind of wheel, wheel on and off like a tractor wheel. It was probably actual. Uh, you know um, what do you call it? D three. I'm yeah, guessing. Yeah, I, can't, yeah. I can't remember, but it was still, it still needed. You had to get something from one machine transferred onto another. So oh, it was a bit God. like doing you see, you see ninety cassettes at home when you were taking one bit and putting it on another and hoping you're putting the right thing. And you couldn't. You, it wasn't digital in the sense you could go back and just remove shots one bit out, take another. Bit. Yeah, yeah. So you had to be very careful. It was very. It was a very very. Um, it was. It was sort of in that transition period where it wasn't totally analog. But on the other hand, it wasn't what you could do now. I mean, I got as I as by the time I was an editor, you could just you could start you could run an interview that hadn't finished yet, and you didn't have to worry about have we got everything recorded, and you could drop in a shot, you know, um, without transferring the entire thing from one machine to another. But this was this was this was before that, and was it pretty? It was pretty oh, mad. 
Was Walk Away chosen also because of to sort of capture the Britpop? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, time I think, as well. Was, you wanted the Britpop was, song because obviously that was massive at the time as well. It's what Pete yeah, Britpop yeah. was I mean, in '96, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the other thing we said about the mood of the country at that point. It yeah. was actually, and I was, I'm a bit old. I was born in '64, so my era was kind of late '70s, really. And then I thought ni- that mid '90s was the first time since about 1982 that I was really back into the music again because mm. it just it just went back to guitars and stuff that we, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, he was from the Lars, wasn't he? The, uh, mm. the boring cast yeah, yeah. and all that. So, so we had that sort of with that lineage, and it was the Oasis Blur thing around about that time as well, wasn't it? So there was a it was a yeah. It was a sort of yeah. There's definitely some some feeling we, that we needed to incorporate a bit of that. Mm-hmm. And don't look back in anger would have been far too kind of obvious, I suppose. Well, we used that. We used that. No, we used that. I used that in Atlanta. I used it for um, all the British failures because Sally Gunnell. Do you remember? Do you remember Sally Gunnell got left standing there. And yeah. They dropped the baton. Yeah. They, they dropped the baton on the four by four. So so Sally can wait. She knows it's too late. Gift of all music items. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do I remember rightly that um, Frank and Skin, uh, Padilla and Skidder were pundits? Was that France '98? And was that ITV that they, they did the after, they did the, like, the after show thing? Didn't they? They did a, yeah. they did a version of. Um, Bedeal and Skinner unplanned that went out straight afterwards which I don't know whether he mentioned this on the thing but I've definitely talked to him about it before and um, David Bedeal said he'd like just try try to do comedy after that after the Argentina game he went just like think about trying to do that he went well we just didn't know what to do we just wanted and the audience didn't want to be there after we got beat and they didn't want to be there. And they were just like, oh, yeah, we've got to do half an hour of live unscripted telly now, which just sounds like the ninth layer of hell to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be horrible. It's difficult enough doing the post-match stuff, really. I mean, that was the thing. that we, I mean, you could do that because you just look at, look at the clips. But, um, yeah, there was that genuine feeling of, do we have to have a look at all this again? And do we, even more so, they're trying to be funny about it, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, well, I mean, that was like... Um, with the Leicester win the other day uh, in the FA Cup and so... Uh, Mr. Lineker getting a little bit emotional and everything. And I thought that was wonderful. I thought that added to it. And then people were kind of, you know, the usual people who just don't like him for his political views or whatever. Yeah. Um, like complaining that, that you know, he was he, he, he was upset because, you know, his dad wasn't around and he'd seen something that he well, thought we would never see happen. And his dad had been at the four losing finals. I mean, cut yeah. the guy a bit of strike. He got, how, how, how are you, you going to feel, you know? Um, that's finished. I thought, it, I thought it added to it. I thought it made it more real. Yeah, so did I. I thought he did, and he would have been dignified if Chelsea had won. He wasn't going to be, you know. Yeah. I thought, uh, yeah. I don't, what else is he supposed to do? It's like if England win this tournament this summer, is he supposed to just stand, stand there, and say, you know, be neutral? Oh, well, you know, it. well done. Yeah, yeah. But that's he couldn't. He wouldn't have won either way, Paul. That's finished. No, I mean, let's finish off because we're running out of time before another link has to. Do. I just wanted to ask each of you, your abiding memory, maybe somewhat left-field memory of Euro 96. Like we've gone over the games, we've gone over many times before, as you said, Joe, as well. Sachin Country Fest, what, I mean, I'm still thinking about your rant as we were talking about at the top of the show, but what for you, if you could describe a, a moment or a feeling from that summer to somebody who had never experienced it or an alien, what what would you say or what, what would you go with? Well, as I said, from my, I, I had a very sort of personal thing about it because I, I grew up in Kingsbury in North London, which anyone who looks at the London Underground map, it's at the very top of the Jubilee line and it's right next to Wembley. So I essentially... Not far from me. It's, it's the two or five bus from me. So yeah, actually. exactly. Yeah, right that neck of the woods. So I, I can, I mean, I can walk to Wembley Stadium from my mum and dad's house. That's how close I grew up to, to Wembley Stadium. And so during Euro 96, I just felt like I was in the centre of the universe. You know, it was the biggest thing going on that summer at that at that part of the summer certainly obviously from a football point of view 
And yeah, I was just in the midst of it. And, you know, you, you guys probably remember as well. There was just like just little things like the banners on the sort of lamppost, the Euro 96 banners. And uh, I think it might be sort of Coca-Cola advertising yeah, related were, or something yeah. like that yeah so just seeing that everywhere and then and this was part of the, my twitter thread ran you know seeing people like swiss people and dutch people just walking around where i grew up near my school near my local park it was that sort of rich cultural uh, texture that suddenly sort of spread through my local community for those few weeks it was just utterly magical and really really exciting and, that, and that's kind of part of the the rant i had that yeah i didn't at that summer care massively about the results of, of each individual game what mattered to me was the feeling that i was in the center of if as i said i was in the center of the footballing universe i was surrounded by people from other countries you know it was fantastic to see i said people in dutch and swiss shirts and scottish shirts and Italian shirts in my local community, hearing them speak, seeing them happy, seeing local people happy because, you know, in that international, because you know, of how well England did from the sort of Scotland game onwards, you know, everyone was just in a great mood. And I got the sense from obviously watching the games on telly, there was no Twitter at the time, that people in Sheffield were happy because England were doing well and, you know, they were, you know, because they were hosting games there and Nottingham and Liverpool and Manchester. So even though you were, you couldn't see it for yourself. There was that sense that in all these cities around the country, not just the ones hosting, but in other cities as well, there was that collective kind of joy and excitement and euphoria. Um, and it was just, it was just wonderful. I mean, I don't remember if the summer was actually that hot. So you guys might remember. It may not have been a blazing hot, great summer. I, I can't remember, but it felt like it was, uh, looking back, it felt like the sun was out every day and everyone was in shorts and eating ice creams and loving the football. And, and people from different cultures were talking to each other and interacting, which in a way now in the sort of toxic, divisive society we live in now, is hard to imagine and probably wouldn't be the same as well either. Um, and just specifically as well, I was at the Scotland game, you know, the England-Scotland game. It's just one of the most glorious memories in my life. As I was saying to you guys earlier, you know, I was parallel with Gascoigne when he took off on that run. It was just a, a fantastic day. And yet, and I was 15, which is just a great age. I was 15 in the summer of 96, which is just a brilliant age to be as well. So, yeah, I don't care what the cynics say. It was just, it was a glorious summer. And that's why I also, I'm not particularly, I'm not a big international football fan, but I would love this country to host another international tournament, a proper one. I know the Euros have games here, but I mean where every game is in this country, where England is the centre of the footballing universe for a month or five, six weeks, because I've experienced it and I know how great it was. And yeah, I'd love England to, to host the World Cup, for instance. I think, I just think it'd be glorious. I feel like it was hot. I feel like it was hot every day that summer. I'd really... Yeah, that's how my memories. It could be another false memory. It probably yeah, rained yeah. a few times, but it felt like it was <laughs> roasting hot every day. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Paul? What was your what's your abiding memory of and, and something that we may not have remembered ourselves from Euro '96? Well, yeah, it's funny. I mean, um, what Sasha's saying there about the about the weather. That's the, I think that's the last tournament I was actually in this country for. Because even <laughs> after even after I stopped packed up on TV, I um, been at the been at I was at the. Uh, Euros in 2016 I went to the World Cup in 2018 for some of it um, but there's a couple of things so TV wise I just, we talk about Hullet and you about the sexy football I just remember that just the, the sort of the feeling we were moving forward with him but also that wonderful thing where Schmeichel went walkabout and his, his summary of it was and this is Schmeichel the greatest keeper in the world who just put them out in the previous tournament in 92 with his you know, penalty saves everything but he said the goalkeeper is only the goalkeeper because he can't play football and I, just thought, <laughs> I thought that's another that, and that's that sort of set the mark for, for humorous punditry thereafter. We yeah. did sort of I just remember that really vividly thinking with that, that in that one phrase he's kind of he's kind of justified being on. But also I think the, the obvious one is the Stuart Pierce thing, which I thought had echoes in 2018. I, I backed England to win on penalties against Croatia. I just thought sorry against uh, Colombia. I just thought Southgate's due this for what happened to him in '96, and it was exactly the same thing in '96. You know, regardless of 
I, I, yeah, I, I, the close-ups kind of is a bit Tardelli-ish, isn't it? A bit mad, but yeah. you completely get it. The guy's got the bottle. I've been missed in 1990. You've got to do that again. And we're all thinking, you know, God, please don't miss again. I don't mind what happens in the rest of this championship. Please don't you miss. Because that would be unbearable on a personal level. So that that moment and that sort of, I mean, even though it had been a rotten game and we were lucky to get through, was a particularly... It was something, something sort of. Well, there's probably a. I'm trying to think of the right word for it. It's not valedictory or you know, whatever it is. There's a, there's, a, there's a there's a fancy word for the sort of feeling of you know trial after that. Yeah. It's almost redemption, wasn't it? Really? For, yeah, redemption. That's the kind of way. Yeah, redemption. I liked yeah, the celebration against Germany as well, where it was like he'd already done Spain, but it was a like more sort of subtle kind of fist pump to say, yeah. Germany's yeah. not worth that. I mean, obviously, we're not. <laughs> yeah. That's two, yeah, two, two penalties to one now. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. the, first, the first one was the one he couldn't. He couldn't have missed that against Spain and sent us out. And Joel, for you, I mean, what, what would you take from Euro 96? I just always remember, I mean, it's kind of similar to what Sachin said, really, but I've got a friend who is, uh, her dad's Dutch, and they came over, uh, Hendrik Jan and... Um, God, Uncle Fritz came as well. And and so we had like a, a house where we would hang out, but then all of a sudden there was all these Dutch people there and then there was all, of, we were all following England and there's pictures of us with, you know, there's six of us just sat in the garden playing cards and I think having a beer. And we're, we've all got that white England shirt on with that, you know, the badge in the middle and the umbra. Yeah, yeah. That one, the one that was designed to go with jeans, as we've said many times. <laughs> and um, yeah, that, I just remember that. It's sort of that thing of, as Sachin said, being at the centre of the universe, but also, I don't think I'd met anybody who was 100% Dutch or as near as, as that as you could get. You know what I mean? And, and then all of a sudden, are these people kicking around? We had stuff happening. There was games at Leeds, there was games at Newcastle. So we would get like the odd, odd few people around. But that's what I, I always remember is um, this sort of unity, but then for once, uh, you know, as we did when we were kids, not being brainwashed with a whole sort of England are the best, England are the best, and sort of maybe gaining a bit of respect for other places, really. Yeah, no, I, I, so, I'd, I'd throw in the tat as well. I mean, as a collector, as you can well see, I remember Euro Night 6 being the first time there was stuff everywhere. Like, it, it all had a logo on it. Like, I think this stemmed from USA 94, because I've seen pictures of stands at USA 94, which I could, wish I could time travel back to and grab everything on it, because I love that World Cup. <laughs> but I think we must have stemmed from that. And, I, you know, you had the Corinthian figures, which obviously I've got in the background. You had T-shirts. You had two different sticker books. I've even got, where is it? Euro 96 truck. Oh, well, the truck's yeah, there. That's good. The there. You know, it was just, that logo was just, Everywhere. I think I made yeah. my own magazine as well, which, you know, a boring kid is a sign of things to come. But it was just, yeah, I just remember that. <laughs> say that's all you do now. Exactly. I know. It's like I've never changed. Um, just just being everywhere. And I had everything. I had like a Euro 96 football <laughs> shirt. It wasn't a team. It was just a Euro 96. No, it was a Euro 96 one. Yeah. I remember them. Yeah. yeah. I so, and, and McDonald's did a Happy Meal. It was just, there was so much. It was just everywhere. And I loved it. And it just added to everything else as that we've all said. So, yes. And then look what happened after Euro 96 finished ash that was the start of the spice girls and it was all replaced by that so you know swings cool. and roundabouts yeah and then rude hulling and then rude hulling did the dirt you know the next season joe won, won the fa cup i remember really oh, we we're so pleased for rude and i came back for the final i thought i'm not that's <laughs> <laughs> we was a disastrous day we talked about that many 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 times yeah we don't need to talk more about Barrett. um i think we've established euro 96 for anyone who's 
who listen to this, why would you if you've not lived for a year in 86? But if you haven't, this is why we all love it. So I've just remembered Rude Hullet on the team bus, by the way, because we had a bus went round all the grounds. I forgot, I forgot to mention that. But he, every, they stopped, used to stop for fish and chips every night, and he'd go, what is this shit? I'm not eating this shit. <laughs> I'll add that in. That's good. <laughs> love it. So thank you very much to Sashin, to Paul, to Joel. Thank you very much. This has been Alive and Kicking. And until next time, keep it noities. I think it's bad news for the English game. We're not creative enough. We're not positive enough. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming. Football's coming home. We'll go on getting it's back. Coming. I'm getting back. It's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home.